There was a song, I think it was The Four Seasons, Dawn, Go Away, You're No Good For Me. And you're saying to yourself, all right, what are you talking about now, Swizz? And I say, it just dawned on me that today is Wednesday, May 11th, which means tomorrow's Thursday the 12th, which OMG <laughs> means that this Friday is Friday the 13th. Apropos of nothing, I just thought I'd mention it. But this is Market Call. It is the top of the hour. I am G Swizzle. In just a few minutes, Dan and I will be joined by the great Carter Worth of Worth Charting. Today's episode brought to you by FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. And we are powered by Open Exchange. You can find those peeps on at Open Exchange TV on the Twitter. Incredible series of events over the last 24, 48 hours. Dan, I don't know where to start, but I guarantee you do. First of all, Guy, I think we should have a segment on Market Call called Apropos of Nothing. And just figure out what we're going to jam in there every day because that is a great well, That's what I do. That's what no, I do. That's I do. what I do. I know. And, and listen, you know what? You know, we've been trying to make sense of these market moves over the last couple of weeks because something at least has gotten our antennas up about the price action, right? Since we kind of had that move in March off of the lows into that Fed meeting. It was the first Fed increase of Fed funds rate in what, three years or something like that since 2018 or so. And, you know, then we had that hard rip. And I think a lot of people were like, oh, we're still in that buy the dip mentality. Well, you've been making the point, you know, very, I think, appropriately over the last few months is that the Fed signaled very clearly late last year, they no longer have your back. That mm-hmm. is what's different this time. And when you look at the market just today, guy, you know, people really want to find a bottom for the S&P somewhere around 4,000 here, or at least a bounce level to stabilize. Look at the price action in Apple just today. It traded right after the opening, below 152. Then it traded above 155, guy. This is before 10 a.m. You know where it is right now? It's trading below 150, okay? It's down 3%. This is the largest equity in the market right now. Wait a second, Tan. Hold on a second. I thought... I, I mean, I, I'm new to this. I thought yeah. Apple never went lower. I thought it's one of those stocks that just you, you just sort of well, guy at 150. And I'll just tell you this: we don't have the chart. It doesn't here, go down, but that was the low in March. There was the low. And I'm in being March. an asshole here for a reason, Whoa. by the way. No, Whoa. because you know what? Because it infuriates me. Yeah. You, you know the. You just anyway. Please continue. I'm no, I'm a little exercised here today. You know, because we're are, trying. To, we are actually trying to help people. You know, yeah. dogma, no dogma, always negative, not always negative. We actually are trying to help. But please continue. Yeah, well, I'll just tell you. I mean, the volatility that we've seen in Apple, though, since like let's say mid-November, if you think about that breakout at 150, and then it went as high as 180 three or mm-hmm. so and it's just been ricocheting back and forth between like 150 and 180 well here we are we're at lows not seen since november now that doesn't sound crazy for most stocks in the nasdaq but this is the largest stock in the s&p and the nasdaq and it really feels like now there's an air pocket down to 140 you've been saying what 138 guy that was your target there that was the low from october if we have the nasdaq or if we have apple the largest component of the Nasdaq at 13% and 7% of the S&P go down, let's call it another 10% or so, that's going to be a huge weight on the major indices. But I digress, as you like to say. Let's talk about this CPI print, this April print. Came in at 8.3%. It's higher than what a lot of economists were expecting at 8.1% here. I don't think you're particularly surprised by this, are you, guys? <laughs> Does, do I look surprised? I mean, I look a lot of things. <laughs> surprised is not one of them. And, you know, people that spend their lives reading about about and educating themselves and trying to be 
basically the go-to people on such things, the people that actually we put our fate in their hands, hoping that they get it right, have gotten it exactly wrong. As a matter of fact, they couldn't have been more wrong over the last few years. And now we're sort of, as they say, paying the piper on the back of it. And quite frankly, I think the market action isn't all half bad, but we have come down pretty significantly in a lot of names. But the point is, am I surprised? No, because what I've yeah. said for a while, you know, we might have peak inflation in terms of the absolute number, but it's going to be both persistent and pesky. And my sense is Carter Braxton Worth agrees with me on that one. And, you know, this again, I'll say it for the hundredth time. This is exactly what these geniuses wanted for years. They said, we yeah. want inflation, want inflation. And one of the things I said, be careful what you wish for. You might get it and you're not going to be able to control it once you do. And that's happening right before our very eyes. So good for them. They got what yeah. they wanted. Now let's see what they get, what they want. They want to try to quell it. It ain't going to happen. Quell it, tamp it down. All right, well, here's one thing that's going on. The U.S. inflation break-even index is coming in, Guy. I mean, we saw that huge precipitous ramp from the kind of early you know, early January or so. Here it is. It's coming down to about 4.5%. I do think that's interesting. And we talked about this yesterday in Market Call. There's a lot of bulls out there who are basically saying that we are seeing a break in inflation and those 40-year highs are likely to come in. But, but who knows what sort of drag that will be on the economy because to your point, it's going to remain persistent. All right, mm-hmm. let's talk about this because there are some in the Fed or Fed watchers or former Fed people who think Bill Dudley is one of them. The Fed should hike to 5% or higher to curb inflation. Hit it hard and, and fast, guy. What's your take on that? Because again, I think if they were to hit it hard, it would most certainly put us in a recession. And then do we find ourselves in a stagflationary environment? Because to your point, inflation is going to be pesky. Yeah. Listen, I mean, hit it hard. I mean, it's easy for them to say these things now. First, first of all, I happen to agree with them, but they should have done this a while ago, yeah. number one. And, you know, do, should they? are they going to do it? Absolutely not. I mean, whether what they should do and what they're going to do are two entirely different things. And Jerome Powell painted himself in a bit of a corner. What was it, last week or a week and a half ago? I'd lose track of time. When in, when in response to a question, he said sort of 75 basis points is off the table. He should not have done that. That was one of the many mistakes they've made. But you know what? You might as well be consistent. If you suck, you might as well continue to suck. Whoa. And well, it's what, what, what do you, you know, woe is right. It's, I'm not a Fed chair. You know, I will tell you something. Jam my ass in the seat and I would have done yeah. a lot better job. Whoa. You got to take me. your medicine when it's time to take your medicine, not after the fact. And now we're trying to take ourselves, you know, they're going to try to thread this needle that it's basically impossible to thread. And are we in a recession? I don't know. Maybe we are. I think you don't know until after the fact, but does it really matter? And by the way, are recessions that bad of a thing? Aren't they a necessary part of the business cycle? Don't they allow bad companies to go away and new companies to grow from the ashes? And maybe we wouldn't have some of these disaster du jours that we're going to get into whoa, in a few whoa. minutes. You just jumped, yeah, I'm you a just li- jumped. I am a little you bit exercised. Jumped. You just jumped. It. All right, let's do let's do this though because you know as I do, I was. Don't you like not, it when I, I mean I'm sure people I, are like whoa Swizzle is off his rocker. G Swizz off the rocker. It's okay because honestly, the emotion it brings out the best in you, buddy. Well, here's the thing. You know that I like to spend my evenings reading John Butter's earnings insight from facts that he's been a guest on Market Call. They are a fine sponsor of this fine program. And I was reading just last week's note again, and I was looking at just kind of what the outlook is for, for S&P earnings for this year. And it's really shocking to me, Guy, given the market volatility. And I, and I get it. Market is different than the economy and the economy and you know earnings estimates, uh, while they're tied together, you know sometimes there are big disconnects between you know multiples that investors are willing to pay for said earnings. But here's the deal. You and I have just been really shocked at the fact that, you know, 
Q1 earnings were better than expected. That was John's note last year for the or last week for the most part. But calendar year 2022 earnings for the S&P are expected to be up 10%, guy. It's just not a chance. And then he goes into some of the average PE over the last five and 10 years. And here's the deal. If current estimates are above $220, and they are, okay, but $220 is up about 10% or so, let's just say you cut that in half and we only had 5% earnings growth this year and you put the 10-year average multiple on that guy, do that math for me because I think I think that's how we get to your number <laughs> down there at 3750 and I didn't think that you were doing math. I thought you were just pulling out a Scrabble bag and creating some sort of targets because isn't that what some of the the finfluencers do on the Twitter? I like that Scrabble bag. By the way, for you Hangman fans out there, <laughs> the most difficult word to get in Hangman is jazz in case you want to play with some of your friends later today. That wasn't on your bingo card either. Yeah, no, I actually do the math and I try to figure it out. And, you know, 37.50, I didn't pick out of thin air, was not arbitrary. It actually made sense for a myriad of different reasons. And now all of a sudden, magically, people are starting to come around to that. So here we are sort of either side of 4,000 in the S&P. 37.50 isn't that far away. Quite frankly, we've seen moves of that magnitude over the course of a week, week and a half. And I'll say this for the hundredth time, that to me would be the healthiest thing that could happen to the market. You flush out a lot of the excess and it gives people opportunity to sort of examine things on a more, you know, instead of just basically licking their finger, putting up in the air where everything goes higher, now you can be a bit more discerning. So is it painful? Yes. Is it necessary? Absolutely. Yeah, well, here's the deal. We have an S&P chart right here going back from the start of 2020, Guy. We drew these lines yesterday. You see that gap near that 4,000 level. We're right there. Now we're below it. And, you know, to my mind, I've seen a lot of stocks. They're going to be on their way to pulling back to their pre-pandemic highs in February 2020. I, I think that there's probably a range somewhere between 34.50, which was the February 2020 high, and basically maybe that September 2020 high just above, let's say, 3,600. Maybe that's how we get to your number. And at that point, you know, the other part of that tweet that we didn't throw up there is that once earnings estimates start coming down and analysts start capitulating, then it's in the market, you know, and if we have an S&P down there at 3,600 or 3,700, then you start seeing value if you think there's a potential for upside surprises. I did the same thing with the NASDAQ chart, the NDX guy, and this is a bit different here, man. We are right back to those March mm-hmm. lows. There seems to be a bit of an air pocket. If you take us back to that September 2020 low, that gets you some Somewhere near 10,000, man. And that would be a 40% peak to trough decline from the November 2021 highs. We've seen it before. We've seen it in individual names. Obviously, I mean, we can rattle those off. I mean, you think about what's happened in Amazon, Facebook, Google. Actually, it's happening right before our eyes in Microsoft. The only thing it hasn't happened in is the aforementioned Apple. But we have seen 30 to 45% peak to trough declines uh, numerous times over the last five years in said stock, Apple. And I think it all sort of lines up. Apple to 138 lines up with your NASDAQ at that support level, lines up with the S&P 500 at 37.50. It all makes sense. And I know Carter's going to come in here in a minute, and he's been saying it literally for months. The generals are the last to go. And the only five-star yeah. general out there amongst the generals is Apple. And I think yeah. that 138 level makes a lot of sense for a lot of reasons. Danny. Yeah, just just as a bit of a juxtaposition, a friend of mine, Gavin Baker, who he's been on our podcast on the tape. He's a treaties management. He was at Fidelity for years and years, and he's a brilliant tech investor. We had a great conversation with him, I think about a couple months ago or so. Guy, he tweeted this this morning. I thought it was pretty interesting. Super bullish on mega tech here. Great inflation hedges, broadly growing revenue. 
revenues grows profit over 10% with high RICs, generally trading at all-time low enterprise value to free cash flow and PE multiples. What he's saying here is that this is not 08, this is not 2000. Megatap Tech is now generally trades at a discount to high-quality industrials despite having more pricing power, faster growth, and higher ROCs. You can look at his tweet thread. It's pretty good. I think, listen, Gavin will tell you, and he told us, Guy, on our podcast, he's always early, but that's his mindset. If he mm -hmm. leaves all that, it's only going to get cheaper, and I think you have to respect Respect that because sooner or later, all these stocks are going to be bad presses. I know unless Apple comes out with some horrible guidance for the balance of the year that makes you re-rate the stock, you're not going to be pressing that on the short side. You're not going to be nearly as negative about it at 138 as you are right now. It's just no, a fact, right? Without question. And it's again, it's yeah. not the, many of these companies that we talk about, they're all fine companies. We had Rick Heitzman yep. on Fast Money last night, and I think his point was, and we sort of paraphrased it after he left, that these aren't bad companies. They were only bad valuations. Yeah. And now things right. are a bit more reasonable. I mean, these are not, a lot of these companies are not just ghost companies. Some of these companies are actually companies that are going to do extraordinarily well over the next five years. And Gavin Baker's comments come on the heels of David Tepper's comments yesterday. Yeah. Very similar. I don't think either one of them is trying to call bottom to your point. Yeah. Gavin says he's early. I think he's going to wind up being early again, but at least he's setting the framework uh, for some of the things you should be looking at. Markets overshoot to the upside, and they certainly overshoot to the downside. Which is what they are doing. Let's rip through this here, Guy, because you know we did this segment last Wednesday. We're calling it Disaster Du Jour, okay? And here there are a couple of them. And since Amanda made this slide, Coinbase was down 23%. It's now down 29%. That's yeah. just today, Guy. That's Unity a Kathy software. Wood name, right? Not to, yes. again, not to be a jerk. That's, by the way, her 10th law just holding but please continue yeah and then unity software down 35 percent today and then just the continuation of some of these names that have had huge gaps to the downside in the last couple weeks after their earnings look at today look at upstart it's now down 18 percent just today they are saying get me the hell out Affirm is down 16%. That is just today. Carvana, and I'm doing this real time, down 10%. Okay, I mean, it's just astounding what's going on. Last week, we said, part two, we put up a slide. This was the slide that we put up last week, okay? Six stocks that all had 20 plus billion dollar market caps, some far bigger than that, all trading around 20 times sales or higher, okay? You can see that. That was last week. Let's flash forward to today. Those stocks, all of them, are down about 20% in a week, guy. In a week, you could have thrown a dart at those names that had 20-plus you know, times sales multiples, and look what's happened. The market or investors are coming around to it. It's pretty astounding, and I'll just say this. Throw up the snowflake chart, man. You know what that green line is? That's the where the stock IPO'd last year. Last year, or actually late 2020. So it's going through there, man. I'm just curious your take on all of that and what's happened over the last week in some of these names. You know, we don't use this word often because, you know, you have to be careful when you use it. Crash. I mean, you don't want to say that unless you, you know, you're very pretty ardent or pretty confident in the fact. But I will say, and this is after the fact, dozens, if not literally hundreds of stocks have done exactly that. They've crashed. The market has crashed. And we'll talk about crypto, I'm sure, also crashing. So the only thing that's really held in there has been the broader markets. But as we look at these charts, which we have tried to point out a number of times, the technical suggests, and that's right up Carter's alley, we're going to bring him in in a minute, that we are on the verge of another leg lower. And we've pointed out the levels. I think the levels make sense. 
Carter's outlined him a number of times, and might as well bring him in now because it's as good a time as any. Carter Worth, I mean, worth a shot. Carter, you're talking about all these things, but let's talk about the broader markets before we get into, in your opinion, what is worth a shot because you were clearly watching CNBC's Fast Money last evening. Well, I mean, if you think about it, the names you're talking about, the last go there, are all things that have one common characteristic. They were up, 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 and they've all crashed. And it does defy, or at least boggle the mind, how could something be so mispriced up, it turns out, and then how could it drop this much? And yet, of course, it can always drop more. And to some extent, this is the cult of equity in the sense that in the truest sense, an investment as defined is something that has a cash on cash return. So actually, if you don't pay a dividend, it's just an outright speculation. You have no claim on the assets like a bondholder. And look what can happen. I mean, you can go up and you can drop 60, 80, 90%. And we're seeing that now. And there's no telling. Every day, it's like the hit parade continues. Yeah, Carter, let me ask you this, because one of the things that's interesting and in, in predominantly in tech here, there are a lot of echoes of what happened in the bear market from 2000 to the lows of 2002 and what's going on here. But there's also a lot of echoes that would happen in the financial crisis where some of this stuff, the collapses came all at once too, right? Like the, you know, like, so it, it's just kind of interesting because I think that price action over the last year is encapsulating both of those major crises, but in both instances, the S&P sold off 50% from its highs, Carter. And right now, as we're speaking, the S&P is only down 16.5%, while the NASDAQ 100 is down 26%. So something doesn't square. If we have the worst parts of both of the, the last major, major financial crises or bear markets, right, that both corresponded with big, deep recessions, this cannot be done anytime soon until, and I don't know if you heard me before, until strategists start to capitulate on what they think earnings are going to be this year. Because right now, if you're selling these stocks based on these estimates, just wait because they're going lower. Well, that's right. And we're starting to see that. So there's two ways Wall Street comes up with. There's the top-down approach. That's the strategist. And you're seeing people starting to cut their year-end targets, but also analysts. Analysts, in principle, revise their number down 1% a month. Typically, you start out the year, you give your price target for the year, and then slowly you ratchet that down. Because if you give a muted price target, no one's listening. It's called the sell side, after all, right? They're selling. And so we're seeing that sequence now where analysts are going to start to revise their numbers. But it's usually in a bad period, not enough of a revision to take care of what's coming. Ah, but Carter, there's always opportunity, and you appear often on CNBC's Fast Money. Oddly enough, last night we talked about an opportunity that I thought I saw, and lo and behold, you're backing me up, which I love. That's sort of the great minds think alike. Talk to me about your report this morning called Worth a Shot. I love what you did there, by the way. Yeah, worth a shot. The idea is, and that's an idiom, of course, in the English language, where you know, is something worth a shot? Is it, it has a chance of success? It being, you know, should we ex- take a chance, use this bullet to what, hit that rabbit, that deer, and we can eat or we miss. But the point is, you risk something to gain something. And if you think it's worth a shot, you take the shot. And so today's report was on biotech. But here's the thing that's different. When something's in free fall, like a Peloton or a Zoom, you have idiosyncratic risk. When you're doing it as an aggregate, 156 stocks in the XBI, the Spiders Biotech, you remove that idiosyncratic risk of an earnings miss and another drop in gap. But to be fair, this endeavor is catching a falling knife. It is so bad it's good, and it's fraught with risk. But I think 
because of the levels that XBI has sold off to, we can look at the charts now, it's worth a shot. So take a look at the charts. You brought them with you. You can speak to them. All right. So that's a beautiful look at that fact set chart, right? The, the beautiful blue. It even it even grades. It goes from darker blue all the way to that lighter blue. But what I have here is the XBI. That's the spider ETF for biotech. But there are no judgments. There are no arrows. There are no lines. So let's put some in. The first thing that my eye sees is the channel. Let's, you can go back and forth. Take it away. Put it back. Take it away. Put it back. I didn't manipulate that. Those are magnets used to connect the points. We are now, there's no way around this, down at, to the penny, to the lower band of the mm-hmm. channel. So we have a 63% sell-off over 15 months, and we are at a reference point. Now look at the next chart. Look at that circle. That's the COVID low. We are also literally within a penny or two of the COVID low. So put the two charts together, and what we have is, one, a major sell-off, duration-based, 15 months. Two, it's down to the lower band of the channel. Three, it's right at its COVID low. And four, we don't have idiosyncratic risk of a name, but we have a basket of names, 156 in total. And can we play it for a bounce? Now, let's say someone said, I actually have next month's newspaper. Made a deal with God, deal with the devil. And I know for a fact, Carter, that this instrument is lower. What would you say, Carter? And the truth is, guess what? You can catch bounces even if it's going lower. Enron had 7, 8, 10, 30, 40% bounces before it went to zero. So did Eastman Kodak. So did Xerox. The point is sequencing calls for a bounce here, and I think you make that play. Well, all right, Carter, just real quickly, though, you know, when, when you and I did a show called Options Action mm. for, what, 10 years together. You're still on that show on CNBC. And I'll just say this is that, you know, this stock was trading at 70. It feels like yesterday. You could look out to July expiration. You could pay under four bucks for those 70 calls. I know that seems like a crazy break even, but I guess in markets like this where vols are really high, you know, vols are going to stay bid even when stocks start to move or ETFs in this case to the upside. And I think the other thing that's really important about sector ETFs like the XBI, you just use the word idiosyncratic. Guy can't spell it. Either can I. But it's a good word in markets like this because you really are like widening out the risk parameters when you want to express a view in a space here. And that's why you'll see the volatility usually in options on sector ETS far below any of its major components here. So I like this idea of playing for it. I also like defining your risk using calls or call spreads. I would not be selling puts in this environment, even though vols are fat, it just doesn't seem like a good risk reward. But you also have a name that you like individually here, Carter, in the space. Right. So, you know, for those who don't like to do ETFs, uh, you can always pick a name. Now you get the benefit of idiosyncratic opportunity or risk. But look at Halozyme, H-A-L-O. And a couple of ways to draw the lines here. But you'll see the first chart, we have a well-defined downtrend for a long time. And we moved above that downtrend. That's incontestable. And now look what we've done. We've checked back to the penny to that downtrend. If you look at the next chart and you add an ascending line, what do we have? We have converging trend lines. We have a resolution. It broke out of the apex and now is checked back to it. Up strongly today, Mm -hmm. I think it's it's a good play.
They reported earnings, I believe, on the tenth. What, what's today? The, I don't even know what today is. And it, well, I the guess 11th. that's yesterday. I mean, I you know I lose track of time, Dan, as you know. <laughs> but I will tell you, I know Carter's not totally into this thing, but you're talking about a company with maybe thirty percent EPS growth, reasonable valuation in this space. Stock sold off in this pennant formation. This looks good to me. I'm with you, CB Dubs. I just love your work. I mean. I dig your work. And where can I find more of your work, Carter? <laughs> Funny you should ask, Guy, please. Funny you should ask. That's right. Worthcharting.com. Come, join, be a member, see ideas like this. Absolutely. Listen. Well, it's good absolutely, stuff. I mean, listen, Dan, we, we absolutely we, we get to get we get to get little nibbles here on Market Call Monday, and hopefully you're gonna drop in a bit more on Wednesdays. But I know that you do a bunch of videos, you put a bunch of stuff out overnight. And what I think is most interesting, Carter, again, you and I go back 15 years and I met you when I was still an institutional person here, but now I've been a retail person like a lot of our viewers here. You're talking to both. You are talking to some of the biggest financial institutions in the world that are putting real money together, and then you also have this great product for people who are self directed and who like to use technical analysis as an important input so we appreciate you buddy we appreciate you coming on here and we always get smarter at listening to you thanks carter bye guys there's a cbw fan club out there i'm just telling you now people dig i mean he's like he's legendary status i've said it a hundred times he's in the top of the parthenon in terms of where his status in terms of just everything cbw Uh So, Guy, just like you're a huge fan of CBW, I'm a huge fan of yours. I was sitting on the Fast Money the other day. Or I, actually, I was watching the show. I wasn't even ah, on the show. Hmm. This was the other night. And, you know, you and I have been talking about bank stocks for a while, all year on Market Call. And you've been really cautious, I think, on, on banks in general. There's some that you liked more than others based on valuation, based on how they're situated, I think, in the markets, given what's going on their exposure globally or in Europe in particular or with lending and housing and all that sort of stuff. But you said something that caught my eye. You actually said that you're kind of warming up on a valuation basis to banks. And I just want to throw this JP Morgan chart up here for a second because we all know this is considered best of breed. The stock is contending with that breakout level from, you know, early, I guess it was or mid-2021. And then we had that, you know, kind of crash into the pandemic. I guess it was 2020. And then there is one unfilled gap down there, mm-hmm. guy. And you see it. It's it's between 110 and 100 or so. Give me your take quickly on the banks. Which ones do you favor? And does this chart worry you here? Because we are through, I think, an important technical level, you know, in and around 120. And then you see that gap all the way down there. Mixed metaphors notwithstanding, something I said caught your eye. I dig that. I did catch up, by the way. I know you try to trick me from time to time, but I'll say this. Yes, the chart's concerning without question. And can you see further room to the downside? Yeah, that 105 to 110 level sort of would, I would imagine, sort of complete this round trip. The reason I brought up JP Morgan in the banks the other night, obviously this precipitous decline has been in the wake of a lot of people trying to get bullish or stay bullish on the banks, number one. But what I did say, I think it was on Monday night, is look, JP Morgan is now trading about 1.75 times tangible book, the same level the Bank of America is trading at. Something doesn't jive with me. And this is probably the lowest valuation you've seen for JP Morgan since the financial crisis, I'd be willing to bet. And, you know, I think it's reasonable here to start nibbling a bit at JP Morgan, still best of breed. I don't think Bank of America deserves that valuation. So maybe that trades lower from here. But I certainly think. JP Morgan does. So that was my reason for bringing up the banks, Dan. 
Well, I, I think your point also about starting to put together a buy list, you know, when you have, you know, the stock market down the way it is, now, again, we just said that down 16.5%, the S&P is not enough, but a lot of these stocks are down a lot more than that from their highs. It makes sense to figure out some different levels, whether it be fundamental catalysts, whether it be valuation levels, technical levels, that sort of thing. All right, let's hit this one really quickly. Disney reports after the close, guy. When this stock was trading 175 months ago, you thought it should be trading 135. That was a heck of a call. Here we are. It's 106. They report after the close, the implied move in the options market one day tomorrow, 9% in either direction. Mm -hmm. One of the things I think is really interesting here, guy, is that estimates still seem pretty reasonable. Obviously, revenues have gotten hit hard and they've come off of some pretty difficult times here. Revenue is supposed to be up this year, 20 plus percent, up 10% plus next year. Earnings growth up a lot and trading about 24 times this year, 19 times next. When you look at the chart, guy, going back and including that kind of pandemic crash or so, you see where we are. We got to about 100 back then. There was a quick move below it, but it came right back up. Dude, we are not far off from that. Is this presenting an unusual value if you can separate sort of the forest from the trees? and some of the headwinds that they have with their parks business and their networks business. And, and obviously streaming is going through some fits and starts. What's your take here on Disney? Cheapest valuation you've seen probably in seven or eight years, number one. The thing that concerned me about Disney for a long time was valuation. Now valuation is reasonable. At this price point, you're probably getting Disney Plus for free, which quite frankly, it probably should be because I do think, and I've said for a while, it's a bit of a loss leader. But I think what's going on, obviously, in the state of Florida with the governor versus Disney is not helped. Obviously, Netflix has not helped. But now you have to say to yourself, that is all priced into a name that on valuation alone, you can get your arms around. I'll go out on a limb and say that if I'm wrong, you know, I'll be the first person to admit it. I think Disney gaps higher post earnings. So I think Disney, you could see, I don't know if it gets to 120, yeah. but I could definitely see a high teens, 117, 118 on the back of earnings, Dan. All right. Well, listen, you got $9 in either direction. That's what the options market is pricing. The one thing I'll say about that, if you are not positioned ahead of time and you're not doing it with defined risk, be careful here because, you know, look at that Starbucks from about a week or so ago. Mm -hmm. It's set up very similarly, guy. You could make a lot of the same arguments about Starbucks. It had a really nice one-day gap. A lot of people were adding us or whoever were negative on it on fast money, filled in the entire gap, and it's much lower. We are in a market where investors are looking for strength to sell into no matter what the name. They're raising capital. All right, let's move on to another area that is just absolutely a bloodbath here, and that's crypto. We're just going to look at, at Bitcoin really quickly before we get out of here, Guy. You know, you and I have been highlighting it on Market Call for weeks now. We were saying that it's just not a pretty healthy formation here, and a lot of the pillars of the bull case have just not been standing up, especially in the height of 40-year high inflation readings especially relative to gold, which you have been a bull on, is in acting pretty well here. This is one of the worst-looking charts in the market. This is a one-year chart, guy. It's basically right about to make new 52-week lows. It's down 56% from its highs. And it's not just this chart that looks like a massive head and shoulders top, but it's also this five-year chart. You look at that 2017 high. That was that retail frenzy. You look at the late 2020 breakout. That was 20,000. There looks to be an air pocket between 30 and 20,000 to the downside. We 5,000 Carter, but his work suggests, you know, 25,000 is in the cards. And he's been saying it for a while. I mean, you say what you want, but <laughs> Carter's been spot on with so many things and Bitcoin being one of them. So no, it doesn't trade particularly well. Obviously, this UST fiasco, and it is a fiasco, is not helping. 
And you have to wonder if what's leverage is in the crypto world right now. You, ha, you know, you wonder forced liquidation, what it means there and what it means to the subsequent broader markets that we talk about. All these things, by the way, are interwoven, Dan. So it's going to be interesting to watch how crypto, Bitcoin specifically, trades over the next week, week and a half. But we're getting close to levels that you've been waiting for. Well, we're getting there. We're getting there, folks. Yeah. Well, my friend Melton Demur is from CoinShare. She was on OK Computer with me yesterday. It's a podcast that I do. Uh, you can find it in your podcast stores. People, she was saying that, you know, there's been numerous 80% peak to trough mm-hmm. drawdowns in, in Bitcoin. And I know that sounds crazy because we're in, you know, that mode in a lot of tech stocks, high growth stocks. And I think it's important to kind of note the correlation to some of those high tech growth stocks. And to your point, Guy, it did an about face when the Fed did an about face on their view about inflation in November. And you've been calling it like that for months and months and months. Now, listen, if you are right and you think the Fed's going to pivot at some point in the fall and start getting a bit more dovish, then Bitcoin will work again. And, you know, again, if you do see that gap fill to where Carter sees 24, 25,000 or maybe as low as 20, then you got to trade because that thing will double pretty easily pretty quickly off of those levels on a Fed pivot. That's exactly what you have to be waiting for. If this Fed blinks for whatever reason, you get into crypto in a major way because that 68,000 will seem like an afterthought on the back of the move you'll probably see in Bitcoin. Just a thought for you as we 5,000 Yankees are playing as we speak. (laughs) Rangers play tonight at home. I'm not in the prediction business, so I won't do it, but I'm confident that my team will bounce back. But that's it for Market Call. Hope you won your bingo game, people. Guy, exercise maybe the X in the middle of your bingo card if there's that little middle. I don't even know. I haven't played bingo in a while. But I want to thank our sponsors, FactSet and Open Exchange. We're back tomorrow. Is EY with us from SoFi tomorrow, Dan? You know it. That's Liz Young from SoFi. Damn straight. We'll see you people later. See you. Bye. 